You're listening to this Sunday's sermon from Hope Church RVA. To find out more about Hope, plan your next visit, or support the work we're doing in Richmond and beyond, visit HopeChurchRVA.com. So glad to have you here today. It's nice to be together. Good morning to you if you're joining us online. We are focusing today in our Beholding Jesus series on Jesus, the source of life. So let me say a word of prayer and we'll get into it. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today, people who are hungry. We come to you today and we brought our whole story into this room. And there are hundreds of us here in the room, which means hundreds of stories and thousands of sub-stories and sub-plots. We bring our hopes and dreams, our fears, our regrets, our desires for do-overs, and we bring them fully, honestly, into your presence. And we ask you to meet each of us where we are. Would you draw us to the healing and the life that you alone can give us, we pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so there's a guy who's a bartender. And he's working one Friday night, and he's got the 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. slot. Then somebody else is coming, taking the next spot. And at 9, when he gets off work, he's got four buddies who are coming to meet him, and they're going to visit and have something to eat and drink and catch up, spend a little time together. So it's about um, 8.45. Oh, wait, I forgot to tell you what his four buddies do. One of his friends is like an outdoor adventure guide. And the other friend is a car salesman. A third of the four friends is a pastor. And the fourth of the four owns a spa, kind of a massage and yoga and meditation kind of environment. And so these four friends are going to get together where the one guy tends bar when he gets off at nine. About 8.45, a guy comes in, he comes up to the bar and the bartender says, hey, how are you? He says, I'm okay. He says, what can I get you? He said, I'm looking for Zoe. Have you seen Zoe? And the bartender says, "Um, no, I can't say I have. Well, I'm really trying to find Zoe, and I uh, really would love to find Zoe. And the bartender says, sorry, I haven't seen Zoe, but have a drink. It'll make you feel better. And so he pours the guy a drink, and the guy goes off and finds a spot. And like 10 minutes later, it's like five of nine, three ladies walk in, and they come up to the bar. And he says, hi, ladies, how are you? What can I get you? And they say, hey, we are looking for Zoe. And he says, that is the weirdest thing. They're like, why is that the weirdest thing? He says, the last guy who came up to the bar just a few minutes ago, he came up to the bar, he said, hey, I'm looking for Zoe. And they said, yeah, well, we're looking for Zoe too. And he said, Zoe, I haven't seen Zoe. Here, y'all have a glass of wine. It'll make you feel better about the fact that you can't find Zoe. So he gets them a drink and they go sit and they have a table. About nine o'clock, the first of his four friends comes in. It's the guy who's the outdoor adventure guy. Comes in, hey, man, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Good, how's your day? He said, I had a good day, but I'm telling you, like all of my clients, we start in the morning on these adventures and they're like, I'm looking for Zoe. He's like, dude, that is so weird. 
Everybody coming in this bar is asking for Zoe. That is weird. Next guy comes in, he's the car salesman friend. Come in, hey guys, what's up? Good to see you. Hey man, we're so glad you're here. How's your day? He said, I had a good day. I sold some cars today. It was a great day. Awesome. What are you guys chatting about? We're chatting about the fact that everybody's asking for Zoe. No. Four people today came on my car lot and they asked me if, if I had Zoe. I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't know about Zoe, but I can sell you a car instead. Okay, so I sold a few cars today. It was a good day. Next guy comes in, pastor. And he says, hey guys, what's up? How are you, man? Good. What are y'all chatting about? We're chatting about the fact that everybody's asking us for Zoe. He says, people ask me for Zoe all the time. They're always looking for Zoe. They said, well, you're like the pastor, right? Like, what is this about? You know, you know Zoe? I know Zoe, but we don't do Zoe in our church. You don't? No. We do religious habits, image management, social church, that kind of stuff. People feel like it's Zoe, but it's not. We know it. Wow. And then the friend comes in who owns the spot. Hey, the gang's all here. We got everybody. Let's get some food and we'll order a drink. How you doing? I'm good, man, but I am so tired of everybody asking for Zoe. Everybody who walks in the door of our spot. Have you seen Zoe? Have you seen Zoe? Have you seen Zoe? You are kidding. That's what we're talking about. How did you know that's what we're talking about? I don't know that's what you're talking about, but I'm telling you, that's what everybody who walks in the door of our spa, they're like, have you seen Zoe? Several years ago, number of years into Hope, as we were beginning to find our footing and this young church plant was beginning to develop some of its own character, we had a series of meetings to kind of discuss the way we expressed our, our wording and the culture and the language at Hope. And in that series of meetings, one idea emerged over and over again. And that catch-all idea was people are looking for life. Everybody's looking for life. They're looking for life at Starbucks, looking for life in beach experiences, vacations, trips, nice houses, new cars, pretty Christmas cards, perfect children, handsome spouses, pretty wives. Everybody's looking for life. That's what everybody's doing. And so that gave way to this little tagline at Hope, a good place to find life. We agreed that it probably wouldn't be a good idea to call it a great place to find life, not because he's not here, but because, you know, we can't guarantee that everybody's going to have a great experience, so hopefully it's a good place to find life. <laughs> so let me read you a couple of scriptural texts. John chapter 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Ready? Here you go. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. John chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in Himself... So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Okay, and then we'll get later to this. Jesus said to them, John 6, 53 and 4, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. 
So the Greek language has three words for life. So I borrowed this slide from a Bibles for America website. It's got these three words for life on it. Bios is physical life. That's like your body. That's your physical life. That's cells. That's the stuff you learned in ninth grade biology. Then you have suhe, which is soul life. This is your soul, and the soul is hungry for life, sometimes finds it, sometimes doesn't. But zoe is eternal life, the divine life that God alone has. It's not easy to put words to this, but you might call it God life, true life, life that's really life, life that you're hungry for, life that's eternal life, life that God alone has and imparts to us. So I'm gonna to refer to these three throughout. So kind of take stock of them because these three words are Greek words for life. Every one of us is born with bios. That's the biology side of it. That's the body, that's the physical side. We live with that. It's what we know, it's what we experience. It's how we, we see, touch, taste, smell. It's the physical corpus that we experience life in. It is not intended to be the whole deal, but we often mistake it for the whole deal. It is intended in many ways to be like a rocket booster that serves us for a time and then peels away and launches us into the eternal life that we're hungry for. But we may or may not know that or realize that it serves that purpose. Suhe is your soul, it's soul life. Every single person has this. It's this hunger for life, and the suhe comes fully alive when it's united with the one that has the life that is made to fit it. But our suhe doesn't know on its own the specific place that it's hungry for. So in Ecclesiastes 3, we get a little clue about this. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they can't fathom the work that God's done from beginning to end. In other words, you've got this thing in you that is hungry, longing for eternity, but we can't quite fathom God who he is and can't quite figure out. Your soul doesn't know on its own that God is what it's hungry for. But it stands to reason that the God who loves us and desires an eternal relationship with us has planted in our soul nature this hunger, this desire that's searching and looking. And then Zoe, that's eternal life, that's God life. That's the life that the soul is hungry for, whether your soul knows it or not, or whether your soul had enough understanding to realize, I'm looking for Zoe. But without knowing that, our souls, our suhe, will seek life in all kinds of different places often in the bios category, not realizing that the bios is a temporary rocket booster to lead us into eternity with God. Okay, the Bible also tells us that there is an enemy, a deceiver, and one of the main goals of the deceiver is to keep you from finding Zoe. And if the enemy can deceive you to give your suhe to a bunch of bios when it actually is hungry for zoe, the enemy's real happy about that. And so we're looking for life. Outdoor adventures, new cars, church, the spa, etc. 
So if you're like a baby boomer or buster, the way the framework has set itself up for you, the good life looks like financial success, professional accomplishment, probably a really lovely Christmas card with all your kids with bright, shiny faces right in their places. That's kind of what the baby boomer, baby buster generations have been told is the good life. Over time, your suhe will tell you if it's found life or not. You see, your suhe is looking for Zoe, but the enemy is constantly trying to tell your suhe to look into bios to try to find Zoe, and this confusion leaves us confused. And it makes us spend all kinds of energy and effort to try to find life, but our suhe will whisper to us in time, haven't found it, haven't found it. We've worked really hard to develop the picture of life that we believe is the good life. And then in time, we wake up one morning and we've got it all. And our suhe is saying, but still, this is not doing it for me in the real way. Dallas Willard said in a more comical moment in one of his books, you very rarely read an obituary describing someone as having a full head of hair and white teeth and a nice car. But lots of us are working real hard for a full head of hair and white teeth and a nice car. We're looking for Zoe, but the enemy will keep steering us to BIOS as long as he can keep us from Zoe. So if you're younger than the Busters, now I'm getting my generations confused. I don't even know what's next. Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, Millennial, you're like in your 20s and 35 or so. Here's what the air has taught you. The good life is the safe life. The good life is the safe life. The enemy doesn't care what knockoff version we go for as long as he keeps us from Zoe. So for the boomers and the busters, the good life is the accomplished life, the financial life, nice house, plenty of money giving us the deception that we can control our well-being and give ourselves life through these things that don't have it. In the sort of 20s, 30s generation, I think the version of the good life is the safe life. Okay, now I'm going to say a few things that are going to disturb some of you. Don't send me emails. My away message is already up because I'm going on vacation tomorrow. So... <laughs> There's a church that I drive by periodically, and it has one of the little marquees out front, and it's a small, modest church. I frequently pray for that church when I drive by. Just pray the Lord will bless that church, bless the people, bless the leaders, and so on. And the marquee out front doesn't change very often, but it recently changed from an Easter message to a summer message. And the summer message, I think it's a summer message, says, Jesus loves you, be safe. Okay, now this creates all kinds of consternation for me. Because I'm like, well, well if Jesus loves you, then take some risks. <laughs> if Jesus loves you, then go for it. 
If Jesus loves you, then don't be afraid. And so the message is, Jesus loves you, be safe. Okay, listen, I know they're great people. They're doing what we're all doing. This is the cultural error. David, do you know there's a pandemic going on? Yes, I know there's a pandemic going on. But here's what happens. The way the enemy will keep us from Zoe is he'll keep arcing us toward this other thing that we're pursuing. And the thing in itself is not a bad thing up to a point. But you see, most of these reasonable things, like if you're a boomer or a buster, I'd like to have a reasonable sense of security, enough financial wherewithal to have enough, a reasonable thing. But when it goes too far, what always happens with a reasonable thing taken too far is the arc bends back and it turns to a fearful place. So what happens for the boomers and busters is you have this desire to have enough and have financial security and well-being. Okay, fine, well enough, but too much of that, and now you're paralyzed with the fear of loss. What if the market goes down? What if I lose money? What if I'm not going to have enough for retirement? And you're paralyzed by the fear. So a good thing goes to a certain point, but overdone, it, it turns back, it bends back, and a fear thing begins to monopolize it. So... There's this be safe thing in the air. It's everywhere. It's pervasive. Is reasonable attention to being safe a good idea? I think it is. But be safe taken out to the bend of its arc means we will be afraid of everything. We will constantly be fearful that something is going to happen. Something out of our control, something we couldn't handle, something we couldn't manage. So I read an article recently, good time of year to bring this one up, and it was about kids going off to college for the first time. And the article said to the parents, agree with your kids that you are cutting off the find my phone, life 360, you're gonna track me wherever I am deal. Just cut it off. They're gone, let them be gone. Now I know I just stepped on some holy ground. <laughs> But truly, here's what the article went on to say. I didn't know about this. I mean, I know about find your phone and all that jazz, find your friends and whatever. But there's an app called Life360. Maybe you know it. I didn't know about it. This has a whole bunch more data about how you connect in with whoever has it on their phone. And so here's how the article went. You have parents who have taken their kids to school. The kids are at school 2,000 miles away. And the parents are lying in bed and they can't go to sleep because they're so anxious. They're watching every dot move on the Life 360 of where their kid is at 11.30, 11.45, including how fast the car is going that they're riding in at the moment. And the article was like, in the spirit of keeping them safe, keeping your eye on them, everybody's afraid. And this is so like the enemy to deceive us on something that, in its reasonable expression, of course, is a good thing. Reasonable attention to being safe, but when it goes past and an arc bends back, we live in fear. So, we're looking for life. Henry Nouwen says it this way, he says, you can't look to the world itself as the source of that life. The world and its strategies may help you to survive for a long time, but they can't help you live because the world is not the source even of its own life, let alone yours. In other words, we're looking for Zoe. Your soul is looking for Zoe. Has been from the day you were born, but it didn't necessarily know that Zoe was who it was looking for. 
Every one of these verses that I picked out from John that we're looking at today, the word in life, for life is Zoe. All three of them appear in the Bible, bios, suhe, and Zoe. But the one that is distinct of Jesus is Zoe. You can find bios lots of places. Your suhe can be stimulated in lots of places. But your suhe is hungry for Zoe, and Jesus alone has Zoe. So people don't know it, but they're walking into the bar and they're saying, hey, have you seen Zoe? I'm hungry for Zoe. I don't know where, I don't know where to find Zoe. Have a drink. It'll make you feel better about not being able to find Zoe. Outdoor adventure. Hey, I'm looking for Zoe. You get the point. So in Acts chapter 17, we read this. For in him, this is Jesus, we live and move and have our being. So there are a million deceptions by which we will control our lives, control our circumstances, and give ourselves the good life. And yes, of course, there are reasonable things that we do. But like all of this, when the reasonable thing gets past reasonable, it bends back and the arc turns to fear. And that thing that we were pursuing, believing it was the good life or life, now turns in on itself and becomes a fearful life, a shrunken life, a reduced version of living. Okay, so what's the Bible saying? It's saying, give up your life and come to Jesus to find it. How does that sound to you? If I was relatively new with all that, I'd say that sounds terrifying. I think anybody who addresses Jesus with authenticity and honesty will come to a place and would say, I have to plow through this crucible because right now this feels terrifying. To cruise through it, I would not be so sure you're actually addressing the reality of what's happening here. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 16, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. It's just like so clear. But I want to save my life, Jesus. I want a safe life. I want a life that I can control. I want a life that feels safe. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me exchanges your life and receives my life, will find it. So is receiving him truly and authentically, does that feel risky? I think so. Absolutely, I think so. When Jesus came across Peter and Andrew on a beach on the Sea of Galilee, and he says to them, drop your nets and follow me, lay down the life you're doing and come follow me, did that feel risky to them? I feel certain that it did. And I bet it felt really risky on the Saturday after the crucifixion when they had to have been thinking, man, did we make a colossal mistake? In trying to find life with him, did we make a colossal mistake? Only on the next day, Sunday morning, when that tomb was empty and the light is bursting forth and the angels announce that he's been raised, where we begin to see that the life that is really life is available in him. Okay, so one more little like sidebar to this. Here's what many of us will be prone to do. And I understand this. I'm very sympathetic with this. We may be hearing this and think, all right, maybe I want to give this Jesus Zoe a try, but this feels really scary. So I'm going to give it a half a step. 
because it feels too scary to go in the whole way. So I'm going to try a little bit of a halfway thing with Jesus. The halfway thing almost never leads us to life because we're still holding on to all those lines that we wanted to hold on to. So does it feel risky to fully receive Jesus? I absolutely think it does. It takes time to begin to trust him enough to be able to hear him say, I am the Zoe that your Suhe is looking for. And to be able to say, okay, I'm laying down my life to say yes to the only real Zoe source there is. Okay, so a beautiful little transitional opportunity here. In John chapter 6, 53 and 4, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. What, a, what an oddball statement. We hear it through bios. See, he's saying, unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood, you have no life in you. So we're, we're listening with bios ears, and we're saying, wait a minute, you're telling me, because I sip some juice and eat some bread, I have life in me? Well, not completely. What I'm telling you is this Zoe life is the eternal life, the God life, the real life that your Suhe is hungry for, and it's a spiritual reality. So when I'm inviting you into this, I'm inviting you, yes, to participate with your bios by ingesting the elements. When your Suhe says yes to Jesus, the source of Zoe, and then the spiritual life becomes the trade-in because all the while we were looking for life, we kept looking in bios only to find that with Jesus, it's Zoe. So we hear him say, eat my flesh, drink my blood. We're like, really? That sounds oddly cannibalistic. What he's saying is, I'm teaching you a spiritual Zoe truth. And when you participate with a sincere Suhe faith, and you ingest these elements into your bios, those actions, when there's a sincere faith with them, are the way we are participating in coming in to Zoe. So rather than try to turn Zoe into bios and say, I don't get it. How do you get Zoe because I ate something at church? What he's saying is, no, no. That participation in that eating is inviting us to the spiritual life that our Suhe is hungry for that lives on for eternity. So the bios, it's like a rocket booster. It serves us and we live in it for whatever number of years, 25, 55, 95, 105, but it's the rocket booster that serves us to help our Suhe come to Zoe into eternal life. Let me close by saying this. You know the pastor in the story? You know how the pastor says, no, 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 we don't do Zoe. We do religious habits and image management and social church. Of course, you know that I made that up. And my plea is, please, please, let's do Zoe here to the very, very best of our ability. Let's pray. and We're going to come to the communion table. Lord God Almighty, you alone have Zoe in you. And we're hungry, Lord, for life. Hungry, hungry, hungry. So now we come to this table, this place, Jesus, where you said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have life in you, Zoe. Life that's really life, eternal life, God life. So would you meet us here at this table, we pray, by your spirit. Amen. All right, friends, so...
couple things I want to invite you to. This is a personal invitation from Jesus. It's a place where he's inviting us into personal relationship with him. And it begins when we lay down our own life and say yes to him. Raise your hand if you need one of these communion pods and then folks can find you. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing this and you know for the first time that you want to say yes to him for real. You want to go from Bios to Zoe because you know your Suhe is hungry. If that's true of you, I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer before communion and say to God, God, I confess my sin to you and I ask your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And now, Jesus, in that confession, I'm inviting you in as Lord and Savior. Come in and bring Zoe to my life. Okay, so these little pods, I'm going to give you a little instruction. Don't eat it yet, but you may want to have a little head start on opening it. This requires surgical hands. <laughs> so you lift that top little bit of cellophane, you'll find that little communion wafer in there. And you want to hold on to that. Don't eat it yet. Just drop it in your hand. And then you're going to lift this second part with the tab and you open it up so you've got the juice. I recommend holding this away from your body because it's very easy to put it on your lap. Okay, so hold on to these for just a moment because we'll participate together in these elements. To enter into and understand what we're doing here, it was the night of the Passover meal when Jesus sat with the disciples. After giving thanks, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is given for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the meal, he took the cup from that Passover meal he picked up the cup of redemption and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. When you eat this bread and you drink this juice with a sincere expression of saying yes to Jesus, we are moving from bios to zoe and our souls are coming alive in the only one who has that life to give us. So hold your wafer in your hand, if you will. This is the body of Jesus Christ broken for you. And this is the blood of Jesus, the new covenant for forgiveness of your sins. Lord Jesus, would you take every little drop of faith that's been expressed in this moment and would you grow those little drops into the living water that satisfies our souls? We're here, Lord, because you are the one who has life. And now fill us, we pray, in all the fullness that you alone can offer us. And we pray in your name. Amen.